Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to Every Version Ever. Today's episode is a total throwback. Sarah and I are talking about the 1998 British television film Alice Through the Looking Glass. This review was originally released in 2018 as a two-part episode of Wonderland Wednesday, but this was one of the episodes that really made me consider giving up the short video format, because longer conversations are so much more fun, and it is hard to trim down a long conversation into a 10-minute video. So this is now an extended podcast version of those two episodes, because while those two episodes combined were like 20-25 minutes, the file we recorded was over 45 minutes, which is perfect for a podcast. Now, I am still going to trim it down a bit, this was still during our early days, and we were not thinking about this in terms of great audio, so we were just recording at her house and we were interrupted several times by phone calls, family members, cats, etc. Plus, I want to try and clean up the audio a bit because there was a fan running in the background as well. We didn't know what we were doing yet. <laughs> Either way, whether or not I'm able to clean up the audio well enough, this is still going to be a much more extended cut of what we released back then, because we ended up really enjoying this movie and we had a lot to say about it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Wonderland Wednesday. Today we're going to be talking about a rather surprisingly good version of Through the Looking Glass. This was a 1998 British adaptation. I believe it aired on Channel 4 over there. It's not BBC, but like when I hear Channel 4 or ITV, I know it's like almost BBC level quality. And I didn't really know that's what it was when I went into the film. I didn't have any idea what this was. But suffice it to say, I think we were both surprised at how much we liked it. Definitely. When I saw the thumbnail, I think maybe we'd watched a tiny bit of something. I don't know. I, I, I didn't even know 100% that it was British, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But that becomes evident pretty quickly. It starts out in a way that I didn't really think it was going to be that great because it was really different. It's, I mean, the set design was good. It has sort of a long kind of relaxing fairy tale beginning and when you start watching it you definitely get a 90s maybe early 2000s why because it's late 90s and they started out in a modern setting so that could be a miss more than a hit mm -hmm. and it starts out with a mother and daughter that was, of, that was the biggest departure, I think. Sort of story time in the bedroom. And the mother goes through the glass instead the, of the daughter, which seems like, you know, what this, what are you in your 30s? <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't sure how, but even at the beginning, it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that it was bad. It was that it was different. The fact that it was a mother reading through the looking glass to her daughter made me kind of question how good this was going to be. And then when the mother was the one who was going through the mirror, it was like, well, we'll see. Also something that took us off guard is every time we turned around, we saw an actor that we recognized. They had... It was full of people. Famous people. So we knew people. who they were. We were not expecting this. I was expecting, I don't know, C-list actors that I'd never heard of. But there were a lot of really big-name British actors and actresses in this one. Right away, I noticed that Alice looks like the lady who was in Serendipity, which I... 
seen probably uh, most of, probably not all of years ago. And she she pointed that out right away. I looked it up. It was Kate Beckinsale, and yes, it was who, indeed who she thought it was. So this is really weird. She has different costume changes as she goes into Wonderland. The there are different design choices that are just really different, maybe kind of modern, mixed with the old. And you definitely get a vibe for when it was made because of different choices that they make. Mm -hmm. She, but yet, out of so many versions of Alice in Wonderland and the through the looking glass ones that are peppered in there too, this has to be one of the most true to the book that yeah. we have seen that quotes so heavily from the book and may have even included a scene that didn't even make it into the book. There was a scene towards the end, we'll get to it later, but there was a scene that they had found that Lewis Carroll had cut from the book. So it's, I think they have included it now in like annotated versions of the book, just as a little interesting footnote, but they put it back into this film version and I found that interesting. They kept a lot of the wittiness. It was actually a funny version. Mm -hmm. She gets into the glass and you have the whole scene with Mind the Volcano. And then you notice two more characters, the, the White Queen and King. Yes. I recognize both of them. The White Queen is Penelope Wilton, who I recognized it not. I recognized her from more than one place, but... The main one that I recognized her from is Doctor Who, where she played Harriet Jones, MP, um, in multiple episodes. One of my favorite recurring Doctor Who characters. And then we also recognize the White King as Geoffrey Palmer, who played Lionel in As Time Goes By, one of our favorite Britcoms from when we were younger. Well, used to watch it. Still a lot of funny stuff in there. And... Yeah, I you get once you see him in that Britcom, you never yeah. divorce him from that. It's always oh, there's Lionel in this other thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've, that's happened to me multiple times. And he has such a distinct face and way about him that mm -hmm. he's very memorable. Then she, as she is supposed to she ends up in the garden. This version had so many beautiful flowers in it. So that is one of my highest praises for it, as Jonathan is not surprised to hear me say. They did have the flower people. A very different version of the flower people. I do not approve. <laughs> this was an interesting take. These flowers they were wearing clothes, but they needed a few more petals. <laughs> and the book in the book, the flowers do have attitude, as do most of the characters. But these ones were almost like caddy runway models. Is that the right way to put that? Maybe caddy runway models or mean high school girls. Something. Very cliquish and, and talking down to Alice. Just, yeah, which is sort of true to the book, but that vibe, They took it to an extreme. That vibe of bully girl just like, ee, 
uh, no, uh, yeah. that that bothered me. It's not that it was absolutely wrong. It's just that those kind of people bother me. So yeah. Then she does run into the Red Queen as she is supposed to, but the Red Queen looks like some fashion designer, maybe. I kind of thought she looked like what maybe something that Lady Gaga would wear in her later years. I said little do, I said little do we realize that's Lady Gaga's grandmother. It looked like she was wearing a dress made out of fruit roll-ups. <laughs> I said like that red holi holiday cellophane. Somewhere yeah. somewhere between the two, this funky hat, maybe one earring. She was really different. Yeah. But aside from that, I'd say she was pretty true to the character and I mm -hmm. really appreciate it. In this one you have them overlooking the scene with the chessboard landscape and it looks really well done too which was quite refreshing after the last through the looking glass that basically threw away that theme yeah she's given her instructions on how to become a queen and in this one it's like they have these little magic portals or vortexes where it's sort of clear, but like going into a lake ripple effect insert. Yeah. <laughs> and she ends up on the train as she is supposed to. They made the gnat with a little laser beam and a voice, which worked because that, unless you have, I mean, it was 1998. Yeah. yeah, they were working on stuff, but to have that character done really well i think that was an okay compromise yeah they did that they had an interesting way of portraying the animals which worked for me at least i thought it was really well done instead of putting the humans in a hideous costume which other versions have done they had the human playing the animal and then once in a while they'd have a cutaway showing the animal in their place or, like in the case of the gnat in the scene after the train, they had like a little maquette of the gnat in the tree and then showed the actor playing the gnat. And later on, they did the same thing with like the sheep and Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, is Humpty a man, Dumpty but too. also an egg. Just things like that, I thought was a really good way to get around needing a talking gnat or a talking egg and not having the budget to make it realistic it was odd but it worked yeah and i actually liked the guy who played the gnat but that also within the train when you look at the illustration in the book it looks rather dim dark and they kept that feeling in the train i think they went into good detail with this scene i liked the guy who was i think wearing newspaper mm -hmm. but it wasn't as pronounced on the other through the looking glass but i think it was still good and i liked how much dialogue they gave him. They just added a lot of detail into that scene. They did a good job. Then you have the scene outside of the train with the gnat, which I liked him actually. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the gnat as well. <laughs> uh, he, he was kind of an odd character. Mm -hmm. And they also had a lot of dialogue with that. I didn't think that their little, like more than one of the insects didn't look that great. <laughs> But they, I think it was, it was done well enough that I, it illustrated their point. But if you're going from the storytelling perspective, they did a really good job including mm -hmm. the dialogue. And they even had the ones little 
the one little insect's head burst into flame, <laughs> which is appropriate to the book. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of all the ways this could have been done worse. Like, they could have tried to do CGI and messed it up badly because they weren't... The CGI wasn't as good as it could be. I think for what they were able to do, this worked out well. Different things about her appearance are constantly changing, whether it's her hair or little butterflies stuck to her outfit or these little pom-pom looking things. At one point, her hair looks like it's in rag curlers. Why they did all of this, I don't know. It was not necessary, but I think they were just having fun adding in all kinds of whimsy. Mm -hmm. So, It well, didn't seem that there was a point to it from a storytelling perspective because it was never addressed in dialogue. It just happened and... I, I think whoever made this wanted to add in extra whimsy. They added the beauty of the landscaping. They added in the extra details of her costume. They added in large fake mushrooms. They didn't have mm -hmm. to do that. And yeah. I, I kind of take my hat. I take my hat off to them for that. Yeah, this is from, at least from the landscape's perspective, this is probably one of the best versions what definitely, the flowers, the definitely. The there was a lot of beauty added in that they didn't have to have, so I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. After the conversation with the gnat, she makes her way to Tweedledum and Tweedledee. I have mixed feelings about this Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They were very colorful in their costuming, but they had this sort of odd, sinister tinge to yeah, them. Yeah, kind of. I'm not sure exactly what they were going for, but... I don't know. Tweedledee and Tweedledum are supposed to be sort of Child, dumb childlike. childlike. Yeah. And these ones had a little bit of the gang on the street corner yeah. lacing to them along with being ridiculous and ignorant. Yeah. And I recognized Tweedledee right away. He's another <laughs> guy from Doctor Who. He played Elliot Pope in the episode Love and Monsters, which I know people rag on that for being one of the worst episodes, but I actually really like it, and I really like his character. So I I was glad to see him again. They gave them whimsical makeup. Like, they each have one eye yeah. that's done up fancifully. And their hair looked like mops for some reason. They had on these odd wigs. They added in different touches in this scene as well, like little mini golf. They, they just seem to be tinkering around with little mini golf. But for the most part, it was pretty true to the book as far as dialogue went, even mm -hmm. including one of the kings sleeping. They have the whole scene with the walrus and the carpenter, but this was, they, yeah. this was stylistically odd. very odd because it was a combination of them out on the beach, the walrus and the carpenter, both played by humans and by these Claymation or toys, yeah. stop motion, was it? Something like that. It was. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me why they were going back and forth between the two. In combination with what sounded like 1950s rock. It which, was very strange. Which distracted from the poem. Uh, so Of all the scenes in the movie, that I feel like this is the most out of place. There was a few that felt out of place, but I feel like this one was the most out of place. Just in terms of tone and color. The music was out of place. The color of the beach scenes was very orange, which was really bizarre against the green of the rest of the movie. I'm wondering if they were trying to make it more interesting, but I don't feel like that scene needs that much help. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
it didn't work for me. I think they could have done it a little bit better, but I'm not going to complain too much because I liked most of the film. They also have Alice being a little more emotional, I feel like, than she was in the book with her crying. But that could just be me. They, I think the part with her getting them ready for the battle is cute. Mm. It was just this odd combination of cute and sinister and witty. I don't know. It was just different. Yeah. After this, she moves on to a scene where she's in a building, which I do not believe is true to the book. I, The queen just sort of blew in in the wood in the book. And you have this whole scene where she's trying to wrestle wrestle with her shawl and she knows her she's going to prick herself so she cries out before she pricks herself and then she's perfectly calm when she does stick herself because they can tell the future since it's in a backwards land yeah they know the past and the future it's a forward working memory nothing meany meany it's just wonderland (laughs) so then they transition into the scene where Alice is in this shop and she's going to buy an egg and it's a dimly lit shop. Yeah, the transitions in these scenes with the White Queen were kind of weird. Like it seemed like something creepy was going to happen. Like, but it, it was better than the other well, one that yeah, we but watched. Yeah, but this, this is... I don't know. Just, okay. The camera movements, the lighting. Here's here's the thing. From my memory, and it's been a while since I read this scene, this was just an odd part, period. And and in the book, it is a dimly lit shop, and they stayed true to that. And stuff is moving around, and it's just weird. And I think they did have the thing with they probably did have the thing with the object moving farther away and she can't get a hold of it, which would make sense if you were dreaming it. But with this one, we approved because the White Queen has this thing of turning into a sheep and they just went back and forth between her and a sheep dressed in some form of clothing and the sheep was adorable. I, I'm fine with the way they did that. Yeah. They transitioned her into this wooded area It's like the shop just opened up into these woods. One thing I did, and I I know the movie was long enough, but there's supposed to be a scene where she's out in a boat with the White Queen as a sheep. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked to see that, but I do applaud them for keeping it as accurate as they did. Yeah. Then after this, she has the scene with Humpty Dumpty. And it's quite true to the book. And they even had the poem of the Jabberwocky, which it had the one instance of not the greatest CGI, but they kept it very brief, so you couldn't see it very well, which if you're going to do CGI and you don't have a big budget, keep it as brief as possible, because the longer something's on screen that doesn't look very good, the more it makes your film look bad. So I, if they had to do it, I'm glad they kept it as short as they did. And I really liked the kid who played 
what is he, the Beamish boy in the book? Yes, they had him dressed up the way a little boy would be if he was fighting pretend monsters. Uh-huh. Okay, this was a kind of a different scene because Humpty Dumpty is not on a wall. He is... Yeah, he's, he's on, on a, a tower. He's on a brick pillar. And he starts as, as an egg and then he is a man and then at the end he's an egg again and falls off. They kept a lot of the dialogue from the book, as we've been saying. I don't think he went into all the detail that the book has about that poem. And they didn't include everything from that scene. I would have liked to have seen them actually have the creatures from that poem. I thought about that, but then again, you get to the point where how are they going to portray them? Is it going to be CGI? If they like made them as maybe Muppet creatures or... They had little... the different puppets. Yeah. That would have been a good way to do it. But I don't... I feel like he only described one of the creatures in the poem. And he's going to all this trouble to describe the poem. And yet he only described one of the creatures when there are three. I would have... I really like the badger creature creatures with the corkscrew noses so maybe that's why i'm getting hung up on this i just i think they're neat the muppets did them right actually as much as they messed with that story they had great little yeah. muppets for those creatures that's a different video then it ends rather abruptly which humpty dumpty is kind of an abrupt guy anyway after he falls off, Alice has already wandered off because the conversation had ended. And then you have this scene with all of the king's horses. I'm not really sure what was going on in that scene, actually. They had the scene with all the king's horses and men, most of them. But it seemed like they were just kind of running around willy-nilly with no purpose. Maybe they wanted it to seem like there were more of them. If they had a lot of chaos. And they even had somebody who looked like they were riding two horses. Like one leg on one horse. They were doing all sorts of weird things which, riding through the woods. Which would have been interesting if you'd had a lot of trick riding in that scene. But whatever. After which she comes across the, the white king. king. Which was a fun scene. I, I really liked him yeah. as the white king. Well... We like the actor, so <laughs> that made it a lot better. But he, he, the role is supposed to be, dare I say, cute. And he <laughs> did a great yes. job portraying the character and the, without being, a, I mean, his understated way mm -hmm. was just great with this character delivering these quirky lines yeah like, that was... like the part where he's eating the hay trying to refresh himself and he says that there's nothing like eating hay when you're i don't know if it was winded i love that mm -hmm. i didn't completely understand and neither did you no what they were doing with the Anglo-Saxon messenger because it was sort of this ghost-like... It, Well, at first it looked like just a silhouette of the March Hare, but then when they were leaving, it looked like there was something on the ground, that, and maybe it was supposed to be that the shadow and the person had switched places. 
it was I a don't coat really of understand. Arms. It looked like a coat of arms. And the hare had this really squeaky voice, like chipmunk yeah. voice. We just didn't understand what was going on there. Feel free mm-hmm. to enlighten us. This was another place also where they deviated because it was only the hare. The Mad Hatter wasn't there. And then they didn't go into the line in the unicorn scene at all. They mentioned them. Yeah. But they left that one out, which was, I mean, it's okay. I wouldn't have minded having more of the White King thrown in there and have the whole scene with, uh, was it a cake? Because there was a whole scene where she's supposed to be giving out food. Eventually, she ends up finding the knights, the Red Knight and the White Knight, preparing for a joust. Well, the Red Knight comes out of the woods first. Fall, does he fall off of his horse? And then there's this sort of awkward moment where he looks like he may have hurt himself in a personal area. <laughs> the guy who plays the Red Knight... I recognize him from a far more dignified role as mm-hmm. Willoughby in the 90s version of Sense and Sensibility, which is what I grew up watching that is like the version of my upbringing. <laughs> I have seen the newer one, which can't be new anymore. <laughs> but as far as Willoughby's, he is the Willoughby. It's kind of like Mr. Darcy that the guy from the 90s oh man what's his name colin firth he is the mr darcy greg greg wise is the willoughby (laughs) but this was a very silly role where he says he's capturing alice and the white knight comes out and they duel and then you go into the whole scene where alice is following along with the white knight through the woods. And the White Knight is played by Ian Holm, another huge British actor. Bilbo. Yes, Bilbo Baggins and The Mm -hmm. Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. If he seems familiar, that's probably why, if you're an American. Yeah. I mean, he's been in lots of other things too. I'm sure. The big one we know from is Bilbo. (laughs) And I was rather struck watching this, just how great his accent is. Um, it, It reminded you of Peter Salas. Yeah, he sounded a lot like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. Which, and the characters are kind of similar to both strange inventors. Wait, <laughs> which accent is that? Sasha could probably say. I don't know. We'll have okay. to get Sasha on as a consultant. <laughs> because Last of the Summer Wine had people with Yorkshire accents, but I don't think that his was necessarily yeah. Yorkshire. I think it might have been a little bit different. Anyway, that's another rabbit trail. The scene with the White Knight, I applaud them because I have seen it where that felt like it went on forever. And I was afraid that that was what was going to happen with this one. But for the most part, no. Yeah, he's such a good actor that it didn't feel strenuous he at was, all. He was rather charming. The White Knight is supposed to be this gentle, benign character, and he did a great job. The scene with the poem of the old man on the fence. If, it, if anything, yeah, if anything went on too long, it was the poem, but 
even that, that didn't, he carried. That didn't feel like, I don't think I felt like that went on too long. It was kind of strange though. With this one, instead of a 1950s rock vibe, this felt like 20s, 30s. Yeah. They went to black and white. The old man looked like he was wearing lipstick. Yeah. Just the dark lips. They weren't making him look like a girl or anything. I think it, what it seemed to me was that they were trying to go for sort of a silent movie vibe at the beginning. Or they did he, have some talking later on. Yeah, maybe kind of like an old radio type of talking. And stylistically, this was, it was just odd, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah, and it worked better than the 1950s Walrus and Carpenter scene. It was, yes. it was still out, of, it still felt kind of out of place, but it worked better than that one. Yeah. I don't know. He was just really cute. <laughs> she watches him go off by himself, waving her little hanky after he has walked her as far as he was going to. The next scene is the one that they added it back in because originally, there, I actually went and read about this after we watched the movie. <laughs> Lewis Carroll had written this scene and I think it was his publisher didn't really care for it and he thought that if he wanted to cut the book down a little bit he should get rid of this scene. So they only had mention of this scene called the wasp in the wig in like a letter of correspondence but I think in the 70s somebody found the original document so now it's kind of being included in different versions as sort of a supplementary material. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was a good scene. This was another one where you start out with a prop of an insect and then it's an elderly man playing the part of the insect. It had some clever dialogue and a really crazy wig that didn't look like it fit into it, but you find out that's really part of this poem. Mm -hmm. The poem, of, I, as far as I've read, was apparently based on the saying, a bee in a bonnet. Really? So he, yes. A wasp in a wig? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, did we have anything else to say about that scene? I liked the wasp. I liked the guy who played him. I thought it was a cute scene. It was not like a necessary addition, but if they're going to add in a scene that's not in the book, I'm glad they chose one that the author actually wrote. Oh, definitely. I think it's interesting that not only do they include so much dialogue from the book, but they even added extra in from the author. So mm -hmm. I applaud them for that. And it was an interesting scene. And it had some cute, clever dialogue in it. Mm -hmm. A little bit about stealing sugar. <laughs> no brown? Anyway. After the wasp, she finds herself back with the queens. And it was a little strange transition here where it looked like she went through a bounce house. Yeah, what was up with the bounce house? People? I don't know. It was just like three seconds. Or should we say bouncy house? It was, yeah. it was probably more like a bouncy castle, which is how the Brits refer to them. So maybe that had something to do with it. Somebody was getting creative once again. Then they were on swings, which I do not recall from the book at all. Then they were standing rather than sitting and testing her, and yet they were also 
both, were, both wanting a nap. They were kind of going to different locations, like scenic locations. I thought it was really cool where they ended up. Weren't they swinging in what looked like a very aged relic of a church? Yeah. It was interesting, like whimsical. See, was, Not in a disrespectful way. This was like an empty building. That yeah, was just open. like some walls left from an ancient civilization. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's really maybe middle Middle Ages. Yeah, really old. I liked the scene. I thought it looked really cool where they had them. It wasn't exactly true to the book, but I liked the location. If you're anyway. going to di- di- diverge, if you're going to diverge from the book, this was an okay way to do it. Yeah. Next, we have the party, and before we get to the party, there was an interesting transition. And not even interesting, just weird. Uh, this, this bothered was, me. This was the most out-of-place thing, I think. You had different scenes in this movie where... It, it, I don't even know how to describe it. Almost like a weird dreamlike creature coming through the woods like when when you're thinking about the jabberwocky yeah and in this scene there are all of these fast-paced shots yeah dark shots like they they took the camera through a tunnel a dimly lit tunnel and then sped up the footage really quickly so it looks like you're zooming through the shot but it was creepy i i found it disturbing not Hitchcock disturbing necessarily, but I didn't like it. It was mm-hmm. it was actually creepy. Very out of place. Even more so than probably than the Waters and the Carpenter scene. Also, before she even gets into this building, you have what looks like a toucan peeking out of the the hole. Yeah. Talking to her, but it's not moving. And then, you know, she's trying to get in. She's ringing the bells. And you have this frog that sounds like a creature out of a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Or somebody calling you up for ransom. Yeah. I was thinking of it as a voice modulator. So somebody calling up for a ransom is a very fitting way of, of putting it. Yeah. Dark and creepy. After the strange transitions, like there's multiple transitions for to nothing. There's transitions to transitions. <laughs> it, it really it made so little sense. Then she's at the party, which is also very strange. I mean, the, party, the, party the party's was, weird in the book, but this is, I don't know. This is not the worst party that I've seen That's true. for this scene. The lighting was different, but it wasn't bad. It, it just had a lot of weird scenes and a lot of, I don't know, frantic, sped-up action. They included the sheep again. I was okay with that. That was cute. The scene was fine. It was just, I don't know. I felt like it could have been done better. They had her being introduced to food and not really getting a chance to eat. And then she's supposed to get up and give a speech, I think, and she ends up floating in the air. And at some point, she's fed up. But you don't have her shaking the Red Queen and waking up to the kitten. You do have her pulling the tablecloth. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's where she ends up on the floor. Like, was she pulling the bed? Was she pulling the blanket off the bed? I don't know. She they, seemed like she'd fallen off the bed and was entangled in the covers or something. 
they just had her waking up in a slightly different way from the book and mm-hmm. then she's a oh side note in the book she says that she is seven and a half they do not make her look like she's seven and a half and she acts like an adult throughout the whole film i think this was supposed to be another case of she's dreaming this she's she has been reading this book to her daughter for probably for years and she has everything memorized to a t and this was probably her brain turning everything into her dream but she they didn't make it seem weird yeah it would have been disturbing if she had tried to act like she was seven and a half (laughs) but the way they did it was it just made it another interesting little bit of dialogue that happened instead of a strange plot point right so she wakes up she's rather apologetic to her daughter she gives her a toy walrus and she ends up going off to bed Mm -hmm. then you have the daughter under the covers reading the end poem by Lewis and Carol. Now, is that from Alice in Wonderland or is that from Through the Looking Glass, that poem? I think the poem was from Through the Looking Glass because it was used in other in the other adaptation that we watched. But I feel like they used it in the 80s one, too. They, Either way, it's a Lewis Carroll poem. They end it with the, the daughter reading a Lewis Carroll poem that wraps up the story. Mm-hmm. And we've heard it in probably more than one Alice film at this point. I think that was a clever way to end that. With, yeah. the, with the direction that they took the film that was so different in the real life yeah. portion. That was a rather whimsical way to end it. All said and done, I told you that... I liked about 85% of the film, which is something for these films. Yeah, and I said that sounds like a pretty good percentage. I think I agree. There was some stuff that could have been done way better, but other things they did really, really well. And all in all, this is probably one of my top favorite adaptations so far. This is probably the best specifically through the looking glass that we have seen so far yes blew away our expectations Mm -hmm. but our expectations were low yes Yes. it was very interesting and clever and whimsical and so much of it was what through the looking glass was supposed to be all in all i 85 percent recommend it Thanks for listening to every version ever. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. And pass through the looking glass into wonder.